Welcome to Two Guys, One Book, where two friends tackle their reading list one book at a time. Hello, everybody. Uh, this is Brian here. Tim as, here. And I'm joined always by... Tim here. Tim here. Tim here. Yes, Tim here. <laughs> he goes by Tim for short. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> welcome to Two Guys, One Book. Today, we are talking about the book Prisoners of Geography... Ten Maps That Explain Everything About the World by Tim Marshall. Why'd you choose this book, Brian? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Coming out right out of the gate with all the hard-hitting questions. I didn't want you to get off on a tangent. <laughs> I just gotta what? keep it moving. <laughs> Are we trying to make under under, under half an hour today? It's or? gonna be a record. Oh man. No, why? Did you not like the book? No, why'd you choose it? I'm oh, just curious. Oh. Okay. Um, no, I, I chose it because it was recommended to me by my brother. Okay. Uh, a while ago. Why did he recommend it? Uh, because he is a geography nerd. Nice. And I mean that with affection. Uh, and he is one reason why so no, I know so much about geography myself. Uh, just What's the capital of... You don't even know. Hungary. Uh, is that Sofia? No. I think it's Budapest. Budapest. I know so much about geography. <laughs> I don't know. Screw capitals. Calling you out. Sorry. Fine. You're talking. I don't know anything about geography. <laughs> I consider myself an expert. <laughs> well, now that I've crushed your identity. But I, no, I, and I wanted to know more about the world because we Americans like to view the world through an, uh, always in the American perspective where we're so great and mighty and all this I think at times it's, it pays to take a global perspective and realize we are all human beings with equal value in our lives. Just because we're American doesn't make us any better than anybody else. Well, we're the United <laughs> States, technically, and then there's North America and South America, which he goes into detail. Right. Yes, <laughs> of course. Just so I guess Canadians... Are Canadians technically Americans? Yeah. I guess technically. Really? If you live in North America or South America, I consider you an American. <laughs> I'm not buying. Um, I mean, I'm just going by the name. I know, but like, <laughs> it was essentially um, 10 chapters, a pretty quick read, I felt, or listen, if you listen to Did you get the audiobook? Mm-hmm. Did you? Did it come with PDFs of the maps? Well, no, but the maps were more general than I figured they would be. Because oh, the chapters right. were like Russia yeah. and India. I thought it'd be like... The upper plains of West China. Oh my god! And that's why I was like, "Why did you choose this book?" Where, you know, this is a podcast. <laughs> well, okay. The tagline is ten uh-huh. maps that explain the world, but it should be ten like country Ooh, geographic features. I see. You know, I thought it was gonna I, be more deep, like specific. I, I actually agree with that point, Sam. Damn, I point. do because a ma- you're right. When it says ten maps, it implies that uh, these are specific. Well, I don't know, because, like, a map is essentially how you got, like, the Middle East and the, and the oh, gosh, I forget, the Pico. Sykes-Pico. Sykes-Pico, yes, line. And now, and there was others across the, the world, too, that happened that way, that I was unaware of until I read this book. Mm-hmm. So I guess in some terms, in some instances, it is a map where they just kind of arbitrarily make up borders, and I think in that regard, it's a map, but... But listening to the audiobook, I don't think really took away from the experience much. Good, good. But so you picked this because your brother recommended it. You and both like geography, and I want to learn more about the world. Learn more about the world. Yes, you're a humble American. Very humble. Humble United States citizen. <laughs> okay. Yes, um, and I liked it. Um, 
it's not a perfect book. I mean, some chapters are more interesting than others, but um, overall, I liked it. What'd you think? Yeah, I'd say I agree. I liked it, but I think it could have been better. Oh, yeah. It didn't blow me away. Is it worth reading? Yeah. Mm. I think, um, I mean, I kind of come from a background of studying political science type stuff. Oh. Well, that's Lost just my bachelor's, like my mm. undergrad, mm. which is very good for getting jobs, by the way. <laughs> I recommend it to everyone. Um, right up there with art. Yeah, it's good for reviewing this obscure book. Uh, no, but like, so for me, maybe my standards were a little higher for like talking about relations between countries. I think my biggest critique is that he just went a little too broad. I think he bit off more than he could chew. Mm. He tried saying how geography affects the history, present, future of all these major countries, but then he kind of strays away from geography at points and talks about all these like hypothetical scenarios and how the world's going to end. And it just, you know, like this country, this could happen and that could happen. And then there could be another war between, you know what I mean? Like mm. there are a lot of those chapters. Yeah. I, I agree that, that he did, but all right, so like he didn't just focus on the geographical uh, uh, features of the different countries or different areas that he highlighted. He also focused on the socio and political uh, dynamics at play as well, because at times that's unavoidable. I mean, yeah, it's all interconnected. I and so I would say that if he's talking strictly about maps that change the world, the fact that in the Middle East. You have that Sykes-Picot line that kind of grouped together people from different religions and different eth- ethnic groups that but were now part of one country that was a hotbed for conflict. And so I think the fact that those lines were kind of drawn in arbitrarily did lead to um, unrest and an environment that led to conflict. And so I think you that in that one, he talked about the Muslims identity and the Kurds and, and, and rightly so and, and in America that's that is not as prevalent in the American chapter because it wasn't we are I mean we are a nation of different religions but that doesn't define us and make and, and who we conflict with I think yeah I agree I just think he used geography as a starting point for these things that he wanted a reason to talk about but he didn't always stick to that topic right and I, yeah yeah I agree with that because at, at, at first it seems like He's talking about Russia and China and the United States, and he's really hitting the points about like uh, being safe and like and and like trying to go, use mountains as a shield and like try and being aware of the open plains where invaders can come from and all this stuff. And then in the later chapters, I don't think he ne- touches on that nearly as much. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he covers so many parts of the world, yeah. it's almost like you can't go too in depth with one of them. True, because he's like. He does like all these major countries, yeah. But it's yeah. it's interesting. Like it's worth the read, and I think it gives you a pretty good overview of all these different things going on. Just in general, the tone was a little negative. Just oh, like really, you I mean, like, like it was negative. Yeah, because he's always mentioning these hypotheticals. Like if um, <clears throat> you know China gets access to this canal, then mm-hmm. it's like World War Three. Or if Russia invades the Arctic, then Norway will have to start bombing them. You know, like, all these different things. true. Like, I, Steven Pinker, you know, like, he's, like, the um, optimistic modern history person. I feel like he'd oh, really? disagree a lot with, like, his I outlook. Read, I haven't read Steven Pinker. You're, like, but I know familiar. who he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's all about, like, the positive view, how, like, oh. there's a lot less war these days, and even though things seem really negative, mm-hmm. it's because of, like, news and 
mm-hmm. social media yeah. and all that yeah. stuff. But like, <laughs> but in general, like there's not as mm-hmm. things are getting statistically less violent. Interesting. Maybe I should read Stephen Pinker. Maybe we should do one. Yeah, they're pretty long. Are they? Yeah. Mm. You bring up a good point because I guess I initially when I was reading it, I didn't pick up on how negative of, of a tone that he took. But I I would say it's almost like a realistic tone, where like if this stuff would happen, then. I mean, I think he was trying to highlight how delicate uh, some countries' relationships with others are based on their location. And but, stuff like, like that. do you want to stay up at night thinking about <laughs> North Korea, South Korea, the Middle East, China, and U.S., or India, Pakistan? Just, like, he's he almost makes it seem like everyone's on the brink of war. I mean, maybe they are. Maybe I'm being naive and being, like, things aren't that bad. And this was written, what, like, ten years? Uh, seven years ago? Seven years ago? I want to say, like... Was it really? 20... Maybe 2013. Maybe, like, six years 2015. ago. 2015. 2015. Okay. Four years. Four years ago. What in the world has so, changed since 2015, Tim? I can't think of <laughs> one example of the world changing since 2015. Things have gotten much more stable and calm. Oh, yes. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. This is a sarcasm. Um, so, anyway... <laughs> Okay, we... interesting. No, I mean, I thought I I did not pick up on your on the negative overtones of this book, but I would say that yeah, that's true. But we should maybe go through the chapters in the countries. Yeah, sure. You want to? You want to read them off real quick? Okay. Russia, number one. Then China. Then the United States. Then Europe. Uh, uh, what? Western Europe. Oh, okay. My bad. And then Africa. Just the whole thing. And then, is that five? That's yeah, five. Fine. Okay, go ahead. Then, the, then we get into the good stuff. Middle East, <laughs> India, Pakistan, Korea, mm. Japan, yeah. Latin America, mm-hmm. and the Arctic. All right. Which, <laughs> <laughs> which I was surprised about the Arctic, but I actually liked that chapter. Okay, so did you have a favorite chapter? That's a good question. Um, I'd have to think about it a little bit. Wait, okay. That's the whole point of this. Like, you didn't did no thinking <laughs> before. You, you have a paper filled with notes. I mean, and you couldn't okay, think of okay, your favorite chapter. You, I mean, like, I didn't think that specific question. I'm giving you kudos for just putting me on the spot. Oh, here. good. This will take a second. Just chill. Okay. I'm. Do you want to say your favorite? Well, <laughs> well I have two. <laughs> oh my god, two favorites. Narrow it down. No, right. I, I like the I like the China one, mm-hmm. and I like the India Pakistan. Yeah, I was gonna say India Pakistan. Yeah. Because there's a lot I didn't know about the history. Because along with that, he talks about Afghanistan and how I found that interesting how it's right next to Pakistan and U.S. is trying, you know, is working with Pakistan to to fight the Taliban in Afghanistan. I have some passages and it's just interesting to see how Pakistan views the situation a little differently than we do here in the States. Well, yeah, they're no. kind of shady. Like, yeah. I mean, they were harboring like Bin Laden. Yeah, but like at the same time, thing. it's like that's their neighbor they're dealing with. Yeah, like they 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 knew like it's the phrase I like comes up in this book about the Taliban in, in Afghanistan. Um, they they say that we the NATO and United States have the watches, mm-hmm. but they have the time, meaning that we have the watches that. We were checking to make sure to see how oh how long have we been there oh seventeen years okay uh, let's what's a few more then uh, we're almost there we almost got them eradicated right but Taliban are just sitting in their caves and like this is their homeland like they're not going anywhere they know that NATO and the United States are eventually going to leave 
And Pakistan knows that too. And so Pakistan's are the ones that are have to deal with them. They just want to make sure that whoever takes, whoever is in, is in control of Afghanistan mm-hmm. is friendly to Pakistan. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily diverge from the U.S. interests. Correct. But it might. But they're more accepting of who is leading Afghanistan as long as they're friendly to Pakistan. Mm. Yeah. So Pakistan anyway. and India is a yes. good chapter. Yes, it is. Did you like any other ones? I, I liked it. I liked the USA one. I thought that was interesting. But, like, how many specifics can you recall from each of these chapters? Like, just a handful. Just that's the thing. Of, it's just few. how he can't go too in depth because it's not a long book and yeah. it, it's pretty, like, general stuff. But I think that's okay. I it, mean, it's I, not meant to be too specific. Right, yeah. right. And I feel like that's the point. Like keeping it short and sweet, just, just give the audience a few key things to remember about mm-hmm. each place. So when you mentioned China, and uh, that made me think, it's like the Belt and Road Initiative, yes. talking about them expanding, and they're like investing a bunch in Africa and like mm-hmm. Latin America. So I thought that's really interesting because, yeah. yeah, like you said, this gives you a broad overview, and then you can kind of go and research more about a mm-hmm. particular topic. Right. Do you want to go through the chapters and then just kind of like talk about a couple things that sounded good? Oh, sure. Did you have, did you have a least favorite chapter at all? Or we can... Ooh. I don't think I have a least favorite, actually. Okay. Oh, all right. Did you? The Korean Japan was I was okay. Mm-hmm. Russia was a little like I feel like because we read the Unroad to Freedom. Oh yeah, that was about Russia and Ukraine and all that stuff. So I feel like the more as time passes, the more I appreciate the Unroad to Freedom more. Yeah. Well, comparing that book to this book, mm-hmm. so that was just pretty focused on that one right. topic. Well, like a few topics, but like Russia as a country, especially, mm-hmm. um, and just his approach. Do you prefer that one where it's more like historical, political? That's tough because I th- I remember at the time thinking that the Unroad to Freedom was dragged on a little bit and was a little too long. It did a little bit. Um, whereas this might be leaving you some- wanting something more. But that one gives you more background. It does, and I think I think they're different. You know, like this book, I'm going to remember little things about each geographical region. Whereas the Unroad to Freedom, I remember a lot about. The, the, the rush. unroad to freedom. <laughs> Can I say that? The unroad. Can I say that? It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> I think I said that a couple times. <laughs> I, just I don't think that was that. the first time I said it. I think that's just the first time you noticed that I the said unroad. it. It's all right. Unfreedom's not a word the fr- either. The road to un... I know, right? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, but that book left me with a lot more knowledge about Russia and Ukraine, mm-hmm. which I feel like is valuable. All right. First all right, chapter, so, Russia. Yeah, first chapter, Russia, basically how Russia evolved. It was kind of this smaller country, but then it just kind of expanded because there was room to grow mm-hmm. and then it butted up against different mountain ranges and just spread through Siberia because no one else wanted Siberia. And it's only got like 140 million people or something like that, smaller than Nigeria and Bangladesh and Pakistan. Well, it's like a top 10 population-wise country. Oh, no. Yeah. No. For sure. No. <sighs> Look it up. What's the capital of Hungary, Brian? <laughs> you suck, Tim. <laughs> Top ten, ten countries, countries by population. Yeah, they're like nine. So, you want to guess the first ones? Oh, China, China, India, India, um, USA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next fourth, one. fourth is. That's a good one. Is it Nigeria? Indonesia. Indonesia. <laughs> Five. Brazil. Brazil. Six. Pakistan. Seven. Indonesia. Or 
Nigeria. Yeah, Nigeria. Not eight Bangladesh. Nine Russia. Okay. Ten is Japan. Those so are the top ten. So it's not so much that Russia is so small. Wait, remember how I was right twice in a row? Now, <laughs> all right. Sorry. Well, I, I was seemingly right too. It's smaller <laughs> than <road>. Nigeria. <laughs> Pakistan and Bangladesh. Yeah, okay. I'll give you that. So it's not the fact that Russia was is so small. It's the fact that those other seemingly third world, more third world countries. Well, like Bangladesh are, is a small geographically, yeah, but it's, it's very dense. Yes. Okay. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But those other countries that we do not consider to be, are not on the UN Security They're Council. They're like world players as much. Yeah. 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 So that was Russia. Yeah. Number two, China. <laughs> Uh, wait, wait. Can we talk about Russia a little more? Uh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> What's that about? No. We're supposed to take our time here. Yeah, sure. Okay, go. Um, the thing is, I didn't really have quotes. So okay, this no, that's is fine. that's why I'm kind of okay. taking my time. All right, that's fine. But what was interesting about this to me, this chapter, mm-hmm. is that like Napoleon, Hitler tried invading Russia. Like a bunch of people tried invading through Poland over the years. Right. But like it's just too cold and big to succeed. Mm-hmm. And then they had tried invading Afghanistan, which I had forgotten. Mm-hmm. And he said, the author said, for strategic, the strategic position and access to like ports and water. Are they on the water? I guess it's on the way to. It's actually not on the water. It's close to water. Okay. So it'd be like access to a sea yeah. or whatever. I think, I think like the thought was Russia invades Afghanistan and then punches through South Pakistan to get mm-hmm. to the Indian Ocean. They're worried about Eastern European countries like Ukraine aligning with NATO in the West. Right. So are you worried about Russia and China getting more aligned to offset Western power? I don't know. I thought about that, but like, then he goes on to talk about China. I feel like Russia doesn't want to get in with China. Why not? Because they're, they're so, they have so many people that China can just like send migrants, just have them go places mm-hmm. and pretty much take over areas like wasn't that wasn't there a country in the african chapter about where a lot of chinese workers go mm-hmm. and then and, and russia's bordering china and in, in in on the west on the eastern half of russia borders china you think russia is worried that the chinese will send a bunch of people to live there right and then eventually influence the the yeah i don't know i feel like they could come to an agreement though and you form so? some kind of alliance to offset like western powers they kind of, i mean like, do they do that sometimes in the un because they're both on the security yeah Council, they like... and they probably trade a fair amount yeah. and yeah so for like human rights votes that come to the security council right. they can kind of <laughs> look the other way yeah but i mean so does that keep you up at night now well no i mean like <laughs> uh okay it's easy to look at these countries and like find all the human rights issues and that sort of thing. But, like, the United States has also earned a bad reputation for, like, Middle Eastern intervention and Latin American things. That's what's interesting about Latin America when he talks about it. He's like, the U.S. over the years has been involved. And you read, like, the CIA book or whatever Mm -hmm. about how they've, like, been involved in coups and all these governments. Um, So, like, so when the Chinese come to Africa and Latin America to invest, it's like they don't have as much baggage to uh, make people skeptical, I think. You don't think China's getting a, a little bit of a bad, rep- well, bad reputation? They have a lot of domestic issues, I'd mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, yeah, like, yeah, privacy concerns and all kinds of, like, right. stuff at home. But, I mean, internationally, they haven't messed around mm-hmm. too much with the other sure. countries. Sure, I don't know. For some reason, I just don't think Putin and Russia will... Seem too different yeah. culturally. Yeah. Like, just, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see It'll what be. happens. Yeah. 
Next chapter is China, so we can just Next transition. Next chapter is China, yes. So the him he talks about the Himalayas dividing India and China, right? Which is why cool. they've never really had a big yeah. war. That's yeah. The two most populous countries actually border each other, but we don't even really think about it at all. But now with technology, he's saying like it's easier and easier to mm-hmm. clash. Like the Himalayas aren't can't really Such stop a, a barrier war. anymore. Yeah. yeah, true. What about the Dalai Lama and stuff? That was interesting. Ooh, that was interesting because I found it interesting because China is at the core in this in the more of the eastern half of the country mm-hmm. uh you have the bigger cities and the and the rice fields and the and that's where the big rivers are that are navigable that's one thing i found interesting about this book is he talked about rivers a lot which i mm-hmm. never would have thought of so then to the west and the southwest they like occupied tibet so that they could basically tibet is on a higher elevation mm-hmm. so that if india were to come over and influence and, and send people into tibet if tibet was like independent country then india could work out a, a a treaty with them to have military posts there and then india would be like looking right down on china mm-hmm. and so china kind of took over tibet for uh strategic purposes geographically which i thought was interesting yeah uh but then india countered by saying the dalai lama from tibet can is welcome to live in india yeah, well, that's what's interesting. Is like I never knew that context of it, where mm-hmm. Tibet is such a strategically good place yes. to have a connection to, right? Because you have that higher elevation. And another thing about higher elevations, which I found interesting in the book, is a lot of them yield fresh drinking water from mm-hmm. snow and and precipitation on the mountains running down, forming rivers and going forth into the lands below. Mm-hmm. And then, and also in China, to the west, they have another province. Uh, Xinjiang or something out west where a lot of Muslims live oh, yeah. it's it's the farthest west uh, like province or, or, or state of China where it kind of borders Mongolia and, and Kazakhstan and yeah, whatnot yeah. so like while well, they I know China I've read on other places that China has a lot of up, upheaval there because of the Muslim population in that province but they use it as kind of a buffer zone mm-hmm. So that to prevent Mongolia, Kazakhstan, other Stan countries, and Russia from spreading their influence into that region. Oh. Yeah. Just more uh, because based on religion and ethnic ties. Yeah, there's been a lot yeah. of controversy how yes. they've treated the yeah. that population. Right, there. right. But speaking of rivers and stuff, I didn't realize, and I'm jumping around a bit, but like no, with, with Africa, mm-hmm. like he talks about how the lack of rivers and connecting is a big reason that held back their development in a lot of countries not just connecting but the fact that there's so many waterfalls, so many waterfalls in yeah. Africa and I never thought of I that I never before. thought of it yeah no like because a waterfall you're not going to navigate down a river when you know it's going to fall 300 feet right so it just prevented people it prevented people goods and ideas from spreading more easily throughout Africa mm-hmm. and kept the tribes more isolated and more easily um manipulated when colonists came. They didn't have the Silk Road yes. equivalent. Yeah. And that, that was very interesting about Africa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But okay. Is, anything more about China? Oh, China. The last thing I want to say is like, <clears throat> so the South China Sea is really important and like the mm-hmm. trade routes and that sort of thing. He, he mentioned like a canal in Nicaragua that they were trying to like build because we kind of control the Panama Canal. Right. Um, so that's kind of interesting. And then, okay, the last thing I want to say though is about China is uh, Taiwan so, like, the, part of the reason they're doing this Belt and Road Initiative is because they're like, we'll give you all these uh, infrastructure projects like Africa and stuff, but, like, you have these 
um, conditions, you can't recognize Taiwan as a country. Ooh. So it's like they're building up all of this like international. Uh-huh. I mean, that's sort of something I, I thought was interesting. Yeah. Anyway. Sure. Yeah, like you said, the South China Sea is very interesting. How it is like looked upon as more international waters, but China is like building these harbors or or airstrips on these very small islands that are just rocks essentially sticking up out of the water yeah so that they can claim them as sovereign there's so many little islands yeah and like japan says they have some and like right. the philippines all these right. yeah yeah so i found that interesting too because because if you look at china and and to the east there's korea and japan to spread out on their coast is through the south china sea so that's why they're so particular about that area yeah which i found interesting but then they're also looking to to invest money in Pakistan to get a, a harbor over there. So how about the United States? United States. Chapter? So the fact that we have these surrounding waters, hard to invade. Yep. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And good neighbors. Yeah, good neighbors. Uh, he talked about how the national identity kind of made our country strong. Right. We kind of have, you know, I haven't thought about it too much, but like each state kind of has its own identity and then right. as a country too. Um, that's been helpful. Should I, guess. I read some quotes? Yeah, you can go for yeah. it. Yeah. He basically said that any anybody that was able to make land theirs from ocean to ocean, mm-hmm. would, you know, was set up for prime success because, and also the Miami, the Mississippi River Basin was, and the Mississippi River, Ohio River are so navigable that you can trade, and New Orleans is important to get goods going out and coming in mm-hmm. uh, through the seas. So the United States was kind of set up with a good, pretty good deal, mm-hmm. and they cap- and we capitalized, thankfully. At one point, quietly, Washington, D.C. encouraged Americans and new arrivals to begin to settle on both sides of the U.S.-Mexican border. Waves of immigrants came and spread west and southwest. And I found that interesting that, you know, in today's political climate of all this talk of immigrants being an invasion sounds like we started it. Uh, when, when our borders were more, more, when our borders were more contested, we sent, we made sure to make sure people went out west and southwest to, yeah. to. Um, that is interesting. Yeah, and then we also had the Homestead Act of 1862, which awarded 160 acres of federally owned land to anyone who farmed it for five years and paid a small fee. If you were a poor man from Germany. Scandinavia or Italy, why go to Latin America and be a serf when you could go to the United States and be a free land-owning man? And I never thought of that before, but the Latin America was more set up like the European feudal system with lords and serfs and, and, and where you could, you could go, but you would never really be totally free, whereas America really capitalized on all the land we had mm-hmm. or stole from the Native Americans, you know. And we were able to give it out so abundantly to immigrants that it made us a great deal. So then that helped us grow mm-hmm. and, and expand out west. I didn't save that many notes from that chapter. <laughs> I don't know if I just, I was like zoning out at that time. <laughs> well, it's what you know. So speak, can we go to Europe next? Yeah. Okay. Western Europe. Yeah, just because like, sorry, I don't have much to add to US. Oh, that's fine. Um, so Western Europe, um, not Eastern Europe. Uh, he talks right. about how, <laughs> how like favorable soil and climate conditions helped mm-hmm. Europe progress from like agricultural revolution to enlightenment to in- the industrial revolution and so on. Right. And so NATO and the EU 
been really key for like mm-hmm. alliances and peace and stability and um, just preventing war. It's been so many years of war. Yeah. And then my favorite part was when talking about Germany because I know I had heard this before, the German question, like maybe in a history class or something, mm. but I didn't really think about how vulnerable they are sandwiched between France and Russia. Mm. So geographically, like they can't afford to really piss off too much either True. one um, or they have to like stay on good terms with people. Right. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. Right. And especially when you, when in the, in the, was it this chapter or the Russia chapter where they mentioned that Germany can never fully condemn the actions of Russia because they get, like, all their energy supplies from Russia. Yeah. It's and all that was very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Germany and the and the, um, some Scandinavian countries really get a lot of their natural gas and oil from Russia, so they can't. And it, Russia could just shut it off. So what's going on now, though, like, with refugees and stuff? Mm-hmm. So Putin is kind of helping destabilize the Middle East and Syria and, like, driving a lot of refugees to Germany... I don't see that as much in the news these days, but I know that's been, it's like ongoing mm-hmm. and maybe peaked in terms of refugees at a certain yeah. point in the last few years. Yeah. But so then, yeah, Russia's trying to influence the Balkans and the Scandinavian countries. Mm-hmm. I guess yeah. that's all I have out in this chapter. <laughs> okay. One, one, one quote I liked from this Western Europe chapter, the post-Second War- World War generations have grown up with peace as the norm. But what is different about the current generation is that Europeans find it difficult to imagine the opposite. Wars now seem to be what happens elsewhere or in the past. At worst, they happen on the periphery of Europe. The trauma of two world wars followed by seven decades of peace and then the collapse of the Soviet Union persuaded many people that Western Europe was a post-conflict region. That's a good, yeah, Yeah. that's a great quote. I remember that because we think we're all you know, moved on, but, right. like, wars can happen at any right. time. I don't think between Western European countries themselves, but, like, still, other powers. Right, absolutely. But I think one thing about your Germany, uh, your German question was, I, I found this quote that I liked. What is, what is now the EU was set up so that France and Germany could hug each other so tightly in a loving embrace that neither would be able to get an arm free with which to punch the other. <laughs> I like that quote, yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I mean, like, France and the UK have had those two countries going yeah. back such, like, so many conflicts. I think they kind of have, like, a joking, hating relationship now where it's, like, yeah. they're very intertwined at this point and relying on each other. Right. So that's Western Europe? Yeah, Africa next. Africa. So I already kind of talked about the rivers and yeah. the climate. Um, well, one thing I thought found interesting about the rivers as well was especially the Nile. Mm-hmm. The Nile is the main source of drinking water for Egypt, and, and it helps you know water their crops as well and all that stuff. But the source of the Nile is actually down Africa into Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. So Ethiopia is like thinking about considering building a dam to produce hydroelectric power, but that dam Egypt doesn't like because that, that means they could shut off the water mm-hmm. flowing down. So like the, Egypt, Egypt doesn't get enough assurances that Ethiopia would, would never do that. And so if Ethiopia starts building the dam, then Egypt might bomb it. And now I can see how this book takes a really dark turn. Really yes. Fast. <laughs> now, now you're getting it, right? All the hypothetical. I'm like, you know, like, I kind of find that, that interesting in, when I was reading it at the time. But now that you brought it up, it's like, oh, my God. Every, every, every country every country is going to fight a war with every other country yeah. at some point. And yeah. this was written four years ago, and we're all still alive. <laughs> yeah. So 
What else did you want to talk about in Africa? Africa, no, not much. I mean, just... So, I guess the colonial powers mm. that drew kind of these arbitrary borders, I think, held it back a lot from yeah. growing. And the fact that they have all these resources and minerals, like, in the south, yeah. but then um, people are just, like, have exploited that. Yeah. So China being one of them. Yeah, yeah. China being one. But then yeah. China will build, like, infrastructure for them as well. So, it's like... Yeah. So, is that a fair trade-off? Mm. When China's ignoring human rights conditions and... In child labor and mining these, well, you know, fine I saw a TED talk, and you can roll your eyes. <laughs> yeah, for the listeners, Brian is rolling his eyes. But it was a while ago, uh, and this woman was talking about how like a lot of countries in Africa might actually be looking more towards China as a model for development, Ooh. because even though U.S. is probably more, I mean, it's definitely more like democratic and mm-hmm. all these things, but like in terms of taking a population to like middle class. Uh, quickly, China is a better case study for Africa, is what she was arguing. Wow. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just right. saying, like, if you're, like, if there's but this population... If, yeah. if I'm in Africa and I'm in the lower class, mm-hmm. I think you're... I, I'd have to agree. Like, you, in the United States, what do we care about Africa? Yeah, I wish the U.S. had made more of an... was making more of an effort to, mm-hmm. like, in the same way China was kind of... I mean, like, we've been involved in lots of peacekeeping efforts and, like, humanitarian stuff. Right. But so much of that is just messy and sometimes might be doing more harm than good type thing. We're moving on. Uh, Middle East? (laughs) Middle East, yeah. Middle East. Can I read the first part of this chapter? Yeah, go for it. The middle of what? East of where? The region's very name is based on a European view of the world, and it is a European view of the region that shaped it. The Europeans used ink to draw lines on maps. They were lines that did not exist in reality and created some of the most artificial borders the world has seen. An attempt is now being made to redraw them in blood. You could, you'd be good at reading kids' books, I think, to little kids. <laughs> You're like, east of where? Middle of where? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Very expressive. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'll try to ignore your... Um... I'm saying you're at like a child's reading level, is what <laughs> I was implying. No, thanks, you're, you're good. Very expressive. But no, I mean, there's more of his uh, apocalyptic rhetoric, right? Yeah. Be, attempt is now made to redraw them in blood. I think... So I've been watching some British TV recently, and oh, yeah. one thing I hear slang is cheeky. Cheeky. Where it's like yes. you're being kind of like clever and witty. Right. And I but feel you like... you know you're being clever. Yeah. yeah. I feel like he's being cheeky there. Yeah. And I, I appreciate a little his own personal style thrown in. Okay. It's not a purely like academic book. Right. It's kind of no, like... No, it's not. And I like that about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um... And one more thing, real quick, if I could, is I listened to an interview with him, too. Oh, Tim Marshall? This yeah. Oh. He has like one podcast interview online, mm-hmm. and... Uh, I listened to that, and he said, like, he's. they're asking him, like, why do you think this one of your books got more traction than a few of the other ones you've written? Mm-hmm. And he said, like, part of it is that he um, has been on these, uh, like, talk shows and stuff, mm-hmm. like news shows, yeah. and he doesn't speak in what he calls, like, diplo-speak, like, dip- ah, diplomatic talk, yeah, which yeah. is, like, they just use a bunch of acronyms and yeah. actually just disguising the fact they don't know what they're talking about. Right. right. So I think he's, uh, yeah, I think that was funny. Oh, yeah. So what are we on, Middle East? Middle East. I thought it was interesting how the, the word that many people uh, in the Middle East call ISIS, mm-hmm. they, they call it Daesh. Daesh? No. Yeah, to like offend them. Yeah. It's like some sort of... Um, I remember seeing that online. 
Yeah. A while back. It's an acronym of sorts, but then it also ha- rhymes with other words like Fiish, Sinner, and Jayish. Stupid ass. <laughs> yeah. It's, they don't so like kinda, it. Yeah, I kind of like that the people of the Middle East have this like derogatory Daesh for, term for Is uh, ISIS, ISIS like much of a thing these days? Like, yeah. I mean, how clo- how often do you see them in the news? That's I, just it. Like, I mean, I think their forces have been diminished quite a bit. Diminished. Their territory has been diminished. Yeah. Yes, their forces. I think it's technically tough to pin down exactly how many ISIS fighters are out there at any given time. Well, it's like the war on terror. It's like you mm-hmm. can never eliminate terror because oh, it's like no. a phenomenon. Right. So like. In, the thing about ISIS, they don't necessarily belong to a country. So anyone can be like, I'm part of ISIS. And then it's like, oh, well, the Tim's ISIS is part of ISIS. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. edit that out. Just Tim, <laughs> I'm part of ISIS. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Daesh. Um, no, like my point is like, uh-huh. so anyone can say they're part of ISIS and then you can never say True. ISIS is defeated. But I don't oh, think right. I've, they've That's been that much in the news recently. Not recently, no. So the Middle East in general is a kind of a crazy mix of lots of like religious sects and these arbitrary borders drawn by religious what now? Sects. <laughs> Grow up, Brian. S E C T S. Okay. And uh, and then oil rich areas. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like geographically, it's just sort of like a cluster. Yeah. And uh, historically, politically, religiously, mm-hmm. um, you've got the Sunnis, Shias, throwing a bunch of oil. Okay, how about the Strait of Hormuz. Ah, super strategic and not very wide is what my notes said. Yeah. Do you know where it is? I want to say Saudi Arabia-ish. Ish. Ish. Yeah. Yeah. It's like um, Iran. It's at the tip of uh, Oman, technically. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah. Or no, it's uh, the UAE, sorry. The United Arab Emirates, where it goes and... And then across the Strait of Hormuz is Iran, mm. and that's where all the like twenty percent of the world's oil supply. Yeah, goes that. that's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. So that that's been in the news lately because Iran's been oh right. around out there. Yeah. So they're so like British tankers are like navigating through there, and they've been like confiscated or something. Correct. Something. Yeah. Yeah, I forget. I I think the first thing was like. British tankers saw some sort of mines in the water that they confiscated from Iran. Mm. And then Iran shut down a U.S. drone. And then the U.S. did something. And then now Iran confiscated a few oil tankers. I did not hear what nationality they were. They might have been. It would be really great if we could get more renewable and stuff and, like, self-sufficient on that. Oh, yeah. Because so many international issues are, Mm -hmm. like... You know, He's tied to oil. oil. Yeah. What about uh, Turkey? Would be is Ooh, Turkey a good, was interesting. Yeah. I mean, like what chapter were they, were they in the Middle East? Chapter? It was in Middle East because yeah. he talks about how like they kind of want to be European, yeah. but then they're not really in Europe that much no, of their country, no. yeah. geographically and um, like culturally, like in terms of principles and stuff too. Like they're not very democratic. Right. No, so not very democratic yeah. at all. But. Europe kind of understands that they're like a stop, like they're a block that's preventing the Middle East from spilling over into Europe more, mm-hmm. Russia spilling into Europe more, because mm-hmm. Turkey is pretty big and valu- valuable to keep on a, a stable. They want to uh, be friendly, but they don't want to make them an EU member. Yes, it's right. like a tricky line yes, to toe. Yeah. All right. India, Pakistan? India, Pakistan. How about, uh, okay, so here's what I didn't know. 
Yeah. The British colonial rule history. Yep. And when they drew borders afterwards, mm-hmm. then from Pakistan to India, there's mm-hmm. like this mass migration of Muslims going to Pakistan and Hindus yeah. going to India. Right. And then kind of um, like lots of like, you know, death and violence and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. I had no idea that British basically said, peace out. And they just kind of like left. Yeah. Like they, they announced that they were leaving and then like, was it like just two years later they were gone completely? I guess I think so. it was. And then like kind of chaos ensued with that. You're right, where all the re- people, one religion flocked to one country and the other religion flocked to the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and created chaos through all that. And, and um, the thing about, I mean, I, I liked the India part. I thought that was interesting. I liked Pakistan, but the Pakistan thing with Afghanistan I found very interesting. Mm-hmm. And the border between Pakistan and Afghanistan was kind of created as well by just some British guy. Yeah, Sir Mortimer Mortimer Durand, the foreign secretary of the colonial government of India, drew it in 1893, and then the ruler of Afghanistan agreed to it. But then in 1949, the Afghan government annulled the agreement. So like... It's the kind of that gray area, that border between Pakistan and Afghanistan is very um, porous and and arbitrary. It seems like it would be, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Well, because it has the ethnic group uh, Pashtuns, Pashtuns yeah. are all in, on either side of the border, so they just treat it like the border's not even there. That's what it would be interesting to see a map, world maps, um, from the perspective of different countries, where it's mm. like, how does Pakistan see this region versus? Um, India versus us, right. they all might have like a little more of their country spilling over into like a <laughs> disputed region, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, as far as conflicts, I think this is one of the more worrisome ones mm. the fact that they both have nuclear weapons. Right. There's lots of tension at the border. Um, there, was, there was news earlier this year, I think, that like a drone got confiscated or something. Yeah, there's something going on at the border. Okay. I mean, there's always this yeah. thing. I know that they are, oh, are they the ones that fight over Kashmir? Yeah. There was something in the news just today, I think, about in India claiming all of Kashmir or something. Jammu and Kashmir was the area. Mm. The northern tip of India borders Pakistan. There was something in the news just today about India and Kashmir. So that is an area. It's very high elevation part of the, I think it's the edge of the Himalayas. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So he talks about how like both have tensions within their country, but India is more of like a national identity, more unified and like a middle class too. And it's like more democratic. Right. Um, and then he mentions like I thought this part was interesting. The U.S. had a hammer anvil strategy to push the Taliban from Afghanistan to Pakistan, yeah. but Pakistan was more like a sponge, just absorbing those forces, like right. you said. Right. Yeah. Sure. Well, one more thing before we go on is mm-hmm. that I remembered from the interview is that uh, he said how like I don't know the guy was asking him how like you with your knowledge of the geography and these relations between countries, can you kind of predict these foreign events that are going to happen in the future? Mm-hmm. And he kind of said how, like, he can see the dominoes sort of playing out a little bit. So, if, like, if this happens, then that would happen, then this would uh, happen. Like, you're saying, like, if that dam gets built, right. then they cut off the water supply, then, you know, that's right. when the war would happen. Right. So, yeah. That was but, interesting. Oh, here's another thing I found interesting. is like, this is about India and Pakistan. To thwart each other, each side seeks to mold the government of Afghanistan to its liking. Or, to put it another way, each side wants Kabul to be an enemy of its enemy. When Soviets invaded Afghanistan in 1979, India gave diplomatic support to Moscow. But Pakistan was quick to help the Americans and Saudis to arm, train, and pay for the Mujahideen to fight the Red Army. 
Once the Soviets were beaten, Pakistani's intelligence service, the ISI, helped to create and then back the Afghan Taliban, which duly took over the country. So that, so, well, that just shows how more intertwined Pakistan and the Taliban are. Sure, yes. But I also found it interesting that Soviet Union invades Afghanistan, and then India throws their support to Russia because they, they want Afghanistan. If Russia's going to take over Afghanistan, India wants influence over that. And then to, to be more upheaval. Well, it's like the Pakistan's enemy of my enemy is yes, my friend. exactly. But, Which is kind of... But an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Oh, okay, Gandhi. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> well, like, to what extent did India contribute yeah, to Russia? I don't know. I don't, I don't know, know much about that, like, yeah. history. I don't know either. And then I think this is a good point about this, that you made about this book, that this is not that in-depth. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted to know, you, you would have to do some more external research. Um, okay, Korea and Japan. Korea and Japan. Okay, so I said... I don't think we here in the West are educated enough about the history here. Like, how much do you know about the Korean War? Not a whole lot. I, mean, I learned more in this in this chapter. There you go. Yeah. Um, I did not know that the North had invaded most of the South, almost all the way down, and then the, then America helped the South fight back. Well, now the U.S. has like a bunch of troops there, mm-hmm. thirty thousand or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a very like strategic spot. And close yeah. to China, but like, yeah. so China's kind of intertwined with North Korea. They don't want a bunch of North Koreans to refugees mm-hmm. in case of a mm-hmm. conflict. So it's it's a pretty tense place. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. You gotta feel for the North Koreans, man. Has it you, been calmer recently? Do you think things have gotten better or worse? I think things are about the same. Yeah. They're just not as. They're not over Twitter anymore. Well, it seems like you read stories that things are getting better, and then you hear, like, then they did more but, missile tests, yeah, and blah, blah, blah. It's but like, always... But even then, it's like, the people of North Korea live in, like, poverty. Yeah. And are, you know, don't have enough food to eat. And it's just, it's just, it's just sad that one man can do that much damage to so many other people. Yeah, shout out to all our North Korean listeners. <laughs> we, we sympathize with you. Should, should I not say that? What? Or are you worried that, like... <laughs> Kim Jong Un will Kim Jong Un yeah Kim I mean Jong, he like Kim Jong Il was he had his like half brother assassinated at the airport yeah I don't I'm not saying it will be on his list like right right we've already done a book about Putin and like all this shit that's true so. that's true but <laughs> they did hack Sony over the interview movie with yeah. Seth Rogen and James Franco. So, like, how does a, com- a country that seems so backward get that kind of right. technological? I mean, I guess it's just like a phishing email, which is like was it really? I mean, I I don't know actually. If it was a phishing email, Sony had it coming. <laughs> yeah, probably. Who knows? But no, like, but I think they do have some uh, access to technology, and because they're launching not for the rockets, people. man. Yeah, just not for the people. Yeah. The people have no idea what the internet. Uh, but South Korea is another story. They got all that K-pop, right? Is that K-pop? Yeah, I saw a clip of like. North Koreans watching a K-pop concert, no. and they all just like look confused. <laughs> what, what's happening? Yeah, that's becoming big now. K-pop? Yeah, I mean like huge, like even yeah. here. Yeah, there's that band BTS. Yeah, yeah. There's like K-pop so funny because there's like nine people in a band, and like they're they each have their own unique identity. Do too. they? <laughs> Do they? Well, it's like NSYNC Backstreet Boys, but like on steroids. Anyway, okay. Um, but what about Japan? I thought that was kind of cool. How I never re I never really realized how mountainous Japan is. Yeah. So like they all developed on the coast, yeah. the cities. Yeah. Yeah. So they didn't really need like their navigation was just 
around the islands. Mm-hmm. What did he say about like part of the reason Japan attacked the U.S. in World War Two? I can't remember. Exactly. We did some sort of embargo or something on yeah, them? sanctions. We or put something? an embargo on them. Yeah. For uh, was it oil? Well, they were attacking China at the time, right? Yeah. And I think we put an oil embargo on them. Yeah. And so they were scattered, like, they had troops in China and these places. And so, like, that's kind of like when they attacked Pearl Harbor. Right. Which, I mean, in the history of it, you don't hear that much about that. The context leading up to yeah. it, right? No. Like, it kind of makes more sense. Yeah. But now, like, we helped rebuild after the war, and now we have a good relationship with those countries, mm-hmm. that country, which is good. Yeah, which is very good. Yeah. I mean, like, you don't think about it that much, but, like, you know, that was uh, 40s, 50s, whatever. And then, like, all these decades later, mm-hmm. it shows you how important it is that we have these positive relations mm-hmm. with these countries because, like, China is just kind of, like, boom, and, like, India. So Although now, isn't Jap- aren't they worried about Japan, like, um, their population getting older and not reproducing well enough yeah. to replace? Japan has issues yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, interesting. People don't have babies. Yeah. We're about to read a Japanese author book, oh, yeah. Murakami. Yeah. We will find out why they're so uh, repressed and struggling <laughs> with the, the baby thing. Right. And, you know, China, or, yeah, Japan has really low immigration rates, which is interesting, too. Ah. Like, we think of them as this, like, you know, positive, democratic place. But, like, they don't let anyone really live there. Interesting. I mean, like, low percentages. Yeah. yeah. Like, they don't take refugees, really. Ah. Yeah, just interesting. Mm. Like I think they're just like very protective of their culture right. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. We have one more in Latin America. You're not going to talk about the Arctic then after that? Oh yeah, that too. We have two more. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Latin America. I mean, I thought this was interesting. How you have the Amazon, but like yeah, Prime two day shipping. Oh my god, <laughs> that was good. That was actually really good. <laughs> but the rainforest makes it tough to for like actually use the land in there. So, like, they cut down the rainforest and then farm it for, like, one or two seasons and then the soil goes bad then. Like, it, the soil does not sustain recurring farming, which is unfortunate. Yeah. But, well, similar to Africa, they didn't evolve. Uh, they weren't able to develop the same way as, like, Europe did. Right. Because, right. like, the rainforest and right. everything wasn't as easy. Mm-hmm. And then he talked about how the countries are trying to, like, do their own EU type thing, but it's just... Not They're like two different, and yeah. it's harder to align. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was interesting. The Mexican border was has always been a haven for smugglers, but never more so than in the last 20 years. This is a direct result of the U.S. government's policy in Colombia, 1,500 miles away to the south. It was President Nixon in the 1970s who first declared a war on drugs, which, like a war on terror, is somewhat nebulous which is a somewhat nebulous concept in which victory cannot be achieved, like you said about anybody claiming to be ISIS. However, it wasn't until the early 1990s that Washington took the war directly to Colombian drug cartels with overt assistance to the Colombian government. It also had success in closing down many of the air and sea drug routes from Colombia into the United States. The cartels responded by creating a land route up through Central America and Mexico and into the American Southwest. This, is, this in turn led the Mexican drug gangs to get in on the action by facilitating the routes and manufacturing their own produce. Hmm. Which I found very interesting. That Colombians were bringing cocaine probably into America yeah. through land and sea. We shut that down. and then they go, Or, excuse me, they were bringing in cocaine into America mm-hmm. through sea and air. We shut those down and then they bring it over land through Mexico. 
Well, then, if we never did that, then Columbia would still be bringing drugs regardless. Sure. Right? Yeah, but it's, it's all about unintended consequences. Like you know, like you you think you're doing a completely pure and um, noble act, mm -hmm. but then it's like also whack a mole. Like you you take care of that problem, and then two more problems pop up. Well, yeah, I think I'm you, not saying that they shouldn't have done it. I'm yeah. just saying I find that interesting that how it evolved. Yeah, I mean to me it's a little murky of you know hypothetical. Right, and it's not that but, simple, of course, either. I yeah. Know that. <laughs> I know that. Come on, Tim. I, yeah, just like that pa that little passage. But his point was yeah. that if there weren't for such a demand in the U.S., then we wouldn't be getting that big of a supply. So if like, right. if states had started probably just say like, no, Tim. Just say no to drugs. Well, I'm not supporting the Mexico <laughs> cartels. I'm just saying like, yeah, drugs. Probably if states had legalized weed, like. A long time ago, mm -hmm. then we there wouldn't be such demand from Mexico coming over the border. Right. Do you have anything else in Latin America? No, not really. What about um, Brazil? What about Brazil? Well, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Um, he talked about like Venezuela, Brazil. Okay, so like, who's the guy? Um, Simone Bolivar or whatever. Ah, yes. So they talked about this like revolutionary who kind mm -hmm. of like inspires a lot of the world leaders right. or like their ethos or something. Mm -hmm. Um, so they, they can be really tough. It's maybe hard to build alliances that way. I mean, it, it, it's, yeah. Like, how can we trade with these countries when... They're so volatile. They're volatile, and the leaders, mm -hmm. you know, we have these tense relationships with them. Right, right. Arctic? Arctic. Okay. The Great White North. Is that what they call it? No, that's just what they call it's, Canada. I call I it Polar Bear Playland. Polar, polar bear <laughs> play. Polar <laughs> bear <laughs> play. I don't know. That's what you <laughs> No, I thought it was interesting, the Arctic and the maps he showed in my book, my physical copy of my book. <laughs> it, uh, it's just a big white was, blob. <laughs> no, it was from the top down. So, like, you could see all the different countries and how close they are together. But yet. Is there a South Pole Arctic? What do you mean? The Antarctic? The Antarctic. Yeah. How big is that compared to the Arctic? Uh, Antarctica, I think, is bigger. It's like a whole continent. It's actual land. So why is the Arctic? Arctic, Arctic is just an ice. The cabin. north. Yeah. So why isn't Antarctica strategic? Because there's nobody really close to it. Really? Yeah. What about, like, Chile? Chile and Argentina, yeah. So maybe because there's, like, gas in the north? Mm-hmm. No, I think, I think it's honestly just because, look at it. You got Europe, America, uh, United States, Canada, Russia, mm -hmm. Scandinavia. They're all so much closer to the North Pole than... And who do you got close to Antarctica? You got Chile, Argentina, and Australia. Mm -hmm. And South, South Africa, maybe. Yeah. Like, those four countries, and they're so spread apart, they're not as far south as Norway, Russia, Canada are as far as they are north. Does yeah. that make sense? Like, yeah. Like the distance between Canada, Norway, Russia, Greenland to the North Pole is much shorter than Chile, South Africa, and Australia is to the South Pole. It makes sense. Yeah. You you know these distances? No, just... yeah. I mean, <laughs> right. yes. Believe me. You didn't know the capital of Hungary, oh so I'm just, I don't know what to believe right now from oh, here. Oh, <laughs> God. But then also when you're trying to get, they went around the world and they... From Europe, if you're going around the world, you can go down south, around South America, 
or you can search for the Northwest Passage, which I found was interesting. He mentioned that in the book. Mm. Uh, basically, navigating around all of Canada's islands and getting through and down between Alaska and Russia and into the Pacific. So Russia considers the Arctic theirs, or at least big chunks. Yeah, <laughs> they consider I do it. like the fact that he said that Russia put like a titanium flag down <laughs> the, on the ocean floor underneath the North Pole. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we'll see how that situation plays right. out, like Norway, Russia, clashing. Yeah. I think it'll be You're fine. not too worried about it. If the world moves more away from oil, that I will. hope so. You're but right. then at the same time, like Africa, India, China, all these countries are like, people are starting to... Get out of poverty, perhaps? Yeah, and, and join the need, middle class. Well, they need more oil. Need yeah, oil, and get a car right. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So it's That's, sort of a... Yeah, I know, man. Tricky. It is a tricky situation. Are you um, worried about the future of humanity? Okay, so I think it was the epilogue. I was probably my favorite. Well, really? Yeah. Well, I enjoyed the ending. What is it? The epilogue or like the final chapter? It was like a conclusion. Conclusion. Yeah. yeah. So the general idea behind it was that, you know, he's talked about all these um, issues between countries and potential conflicts that might arise, and he's just like mentioning how you know we have been to the moon with so much space to explore. Right. We need to evolve past our kind of tribal, primal. Um, competitions over mm-hmm. land and territory and resources and just kind of come together not so, not even so much like hippie way just no. you know just like kind of like a practical way like so much money is being spent on like uh, aircraft carriers like warships like mm-hmm. plane aircrafts are you know all yeah. that stuff yeah so it's like you know this could all be better spent if we could just like chill yeah no I completely agree so like you kind of feel like that was your favorite part because that was like the one time he wasn't. <laughs> Worst case scenario, we're all gonna die. Yeah, yeah. He, he tied it together, and it was like kind of like an optimistic, mm-hmm. hopeful note a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Okay. All right. What yeah. do you think? I thought it was a little interesting how. Yeah, I mean, I guess he was trying to tie, it, make it a more cosmic perspective, mm-hmm. where we are influenced by all this geography on the world, but we are all still just on this one planet Mm -hmm. so that you're right we need to take that into account and think about how fragile our planet is in the whole universe and galaxy and whatnot yeah so i can dig it but then at the same time like with technology rapidly changing like geography kind of matters less and less Mm -hmm. it's like someone halfway around the world can do anything on the internet that you can do almost you know right that's true so all right but yeah I like the overall. What do you? I mean, do you want to do rating time? Sure. Do you want to write yours down again so I don't copy it? <laughs> so you yours? don't copy it. No. You see, I think I'm gonna give this a four. You don't sound very sure about that. Because I'm I'm giving it a, a four because I really liked it and thought it was very interesting, and I think I'm I think it's gonna be a book that I think about more in the future. Our last book, Breakfast Breakfast of Champions. I don't think I thought about it once since I, I stopped I think reading. about it every day. Oh, God. <laughs> every night. Every time you eat your Wheaties for breakfast. <laughs> but for this book, I, and like, you're right, it, it, the chapters are kind of just overviews of each continent or country or region, and, uh, but I felt like I was able to glean something from each one, uh, something that is valuable and that will help me hopefully understand future uh, foreign pol- policy and global issues mm-hmm. that maybe I wouldn't have understood uh, previously. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of, I, I think overall as a book, it's like a three, but I think 
for knowing about the world and being a world citizen, it's a four. So I'm giving it a four. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Until yeah. you said world citizen. That's just <laughs> kind of an obnoxious <laughs> citizen of the world. Yeah. We're Americans, Brian. Uh, All right, Tim. So what, what's your rating? I would agree with you. I think as a book, it's like three-ish, but then topic-wise for mm-hmm. because of it's how relevant it is. Um, so what's your final answer? Four. All right. Yeah. But I will say, caveat, It's uh, I think it's too broad. It's oversimplified. It's too negative. And uh, he, he strays too much away from geography to talk about political okay. history stuff. Gosh. Those are all fair points. Yeah, but like... <laughs> for don't don't get it. defensive because you picked this book. <laughs> Gosh. Don't worry, don't worry. I'll let it go. I'll let it go. But yeah. All right, Tim. What are we reading next? It's your pick this time. The Bible. The Bible. Finally. Oh, my God. <laughs> How many times have you sighed during this episode? I don't know. Um, Too many. Let me think. What did I pick? Oh, the AI book. Oh, AI Superpowers, right? Yeah, by Kai Fu Lee. Kai Fu Lee. Yes. You ready for that? You started? I have not started it. You ready for the AI revolution? Ready to bow to our AI overlords? Are you? Yeah, sure. The singularity? The singularity, yep. As long as we get some Terminator shit out of it. You want that for real? Heck yeah! Right? Maybe not. Skynet. You're right, I would die. Um, <laughs> oh, I die for let, sure. <laughs> let's be real. If, if if the Terminator shit goes down, I am not going to be one You're of the like ones. The anti Sarah Connor. Yeah, I am the anti Sarah Connor. Yes. Um, yeah, I would die so fast. Um, <laughs> but anyway. Um, yeah, it'll be it'll be good. Talk, it will I think. be good. But yeah, we you got to pick a fiction book. I think. Okay, Coming I will. Out. I will. Because you pick. I know. Two in a row, three in a row, nonfiction. What, right. what was your last pick? We did Kurt Vonnegut, and then. Um, oh, it was a hundred years of solitude, wasn't it? Oh uh, yeah, I guess that's fiction. But you want, but but the, I have this one and the Melinda the Gates Melinda book, Gates, and yeah. then then you want me to pick a fiction book? I, I mean, can. You I don't can. have to. I can. Don't worry. <laughs> I'll pick one good. And, yeah. All right. So go to our website, twoguysonebook.com. Twoguysonebook.com. Yeah, and leave comments about your favorite episodes or books or suggestions for what we should read next. Yeah, well, we're trying to make this like a book club so you can read sure. together with us, and then we'll read your comments on the during the episode. During yes, literally any comments. Be like, oh, that was dumb. Yeah, and we're and we'll say, yeah, so and so and so and so thinks it's dumb. <laughs> Definitely so and so. Yeah. All right. All right. Until next time, keep keep reading. Reading. <laughs>